Chef Paul Sorgel to the show. Chef. Chef Adam, pleasure <laughs> to be here. Yeah, buddy. I don't know. All the technology seems to be a little off today. So we're just going to kick it old school and just go with a phone call. So thank you very uh, much for uh, taking some time out in your very busy schedule. Um, chef, uh, for, you know, your writing is so, um, straightforward and yet eloquent. And uh, it's one of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, quickly, but you've been, you, you've been a prolific blog writer. Um, and I know that you spend a great deal of your career as an educator. Did you always write? No, this is um, really something I picked up later in life. Um, when I made the uh, the jump to go into consulting in 2012, um, I needed a vehicle to just get my name out there and kind of get some uh, some chatter going about uh, the types of things that I do and the types of things that I believe in. So it's it's really been since 2012, and it's been very well. Although listened. I did. I, Go ahead. Yeah, I did write a I did write a couple books. But. You did, and I want to kind of get into the second one in a little bit here, which is fascinating. Um, but uh, have you found it to be an effective vehicle? Insofar as I, I guess it would be number one is kind of setting up uh, a conversation with potential clients, and it's also kind of a great way to establish some mastery or some perceived mastery by people who might want to hire you. But is it worked well for you? You know, I, I'm not so sure that I can quantify that it's worked for consulting, but it's it's certainly given me a, a voice, and uh, I've identified an audience. Actually, probably one of my largest audiences is uh, the line cook. You know, and I've I've kind of taken um, that type of individual under my wing as a person that I need to talk to and talk about. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I think your latest article is uh, "Don't Dismiss the New the New." Batch of cooks is that? Uh, and paraphrasing. Yep. Um, yep, that's correct. It's a it's a subject that's close to my heart as well. Um, having come up through the ranks, um, for those who perhaps are not familiar with your work, can you kind of give us a brief brief synopsis on where you've been and what you've been doing and how you find yourself here in this point? Sure. <clears throat> you know, I, I you know I'm an old school guy. You know, I started off at 15 washing dishes and. Um, you know, didn't want to go to college and my parents made me go to college. And the only thing that, uh, had any kind of interest for me was, was, um, the kitchen. So I went to a hotel school, um, spent two years at the hotel school, got my first job interview as a assistant manager in a restaurant. And the GM did a wonderful service for me. He tore me apart and told me everything I didn't know <laughs> and said, you need to go back in the kitchen and, and learn more about the kitchen and work your way out. So I went, I went back in the kitchen, did an apprenticeship program and I really never left the kitchen. So I, you know, I spent the first 12 or 13 years, uh, working my way up to eventually a chef position. Um, and then in uh, 1977, had an opportunity to uh, to get involved in a culinary program as a teacher, and spent the next 30 years uh, doing that. Uh, went back in the industry at the age of 55 as an executive chef in a resort. Uh, kicked my ass, if I can say that online. Yes, you can. Um, we uh, we enjoy um, profanity here. <laughs> uh, it was a great experience for me. You know, I never let my my cook see me sweat too much, but. Um, it gave me a chance to to really bring back um, and understanding what happens in the kitchen because you know after you're in, in education for so long you, you become a little bit distant from it. Uh, so I did some really cool things there. You know we brought the restaurant up to four diamond status and 
I work with a lot of young guys and girls that, uh, you know, had very little, if any experience whatsoever. And, and collectively we, we made it happen and it was just such a rewarding experience. So what was it about? I went back. I'm so please go go ahead. No, no, finish, please. And then I, and then I went back into education. Uh, I was a vice president at a college in New England, uh, culinary at school and, uh, spent four years there. And then finally said, you know, it's time for me to do something different. And that's when I went into consulting. I work now with, with restaurants. I work with uh, culinary schools. I work with commodity boards. Um, and it gives me a chance to really kind of spread my wings and, and offer back some of the things that I've learned over the last 40 some odd years. And so what was it about the industry that kind of inspired you in the first place to get involved? I think, um, it was, I had a job, you know, it was, um, you know, I, if, when my parents pulled me aside at the age of 16 and said, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a rock star. <laughs> and uh, I, that was not going to work out for me. Uh, so the only other alternative was to get a job. And I got a job washing dishes. And I like the people. You know, and that's, you know, if, if you have to, ask, have to ask me today what it is about the industry that I still enjoy, I, I enjoy the people. You know, it's, uh, they're, they're transparent. They're straightforward. Uh, what you see is what you get. Um they're honest in their own way. They're hardworking. Uh, everything about them I like. You know, I just I just enjoy that environment. I think that's why your work resonates with me so much because uh, I, like you, started washing dishes uh, at 15. And, um, and it took me probably 30 years of my career to come back to the, my truth, which was the reason I fell in love with the business to begin with was, was the relationships and the people in the business that yep. really made my heart sing. And it's only when I forgot about forgot that and and made my career about something else other than you know trying to achieve something mm-hmm. or trying to prove something that I really kind of fell off my track. So I I totally get that. What was uh, what was some of the challenges that you that you faced, aside from the physical, uh, going back in the industry um, after being an educator for so long? Uh, well, you know, I think you know the education is a it, there's an umbrella there. It's a protected environment. Um, what, what you don't have is, is the pressure of the moment. You know, it's, uh, there's an immediacy that has to happen, a sense of urgency that exists in the restaurant that, you know, kind of gets weaned out of you over a period of 30 years. And I knew that going into it. I knew it was going to be an adjustment, but it was, it was, um, it was tough. Um, you know, it took me probably the first three or four months to, to get into the groove of that again. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm a an old school guy, but I'm also a purist, and you know I like to do everything from scratch, and I like to do everything in the moment. And suddenly realized I had to pace myself a little bit differently. I, you know, you can't do everything a la minute when you're serving, you know, in a restaurant that does two and a half million dollars a year in sales. So absolutely, yeah, it was a little bit of an adjustment there. You know, how do you, how do you stay true to your your philosophical beliefs when it comes to cooking and and still be able to do the job. I mean, that was, that was a tough part. Um, other than that, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's working with people every day that have, they bring, you know, their own little issues to the table every day. And you have to learn how to uh, be empathetic and still get as much out of them as you possibly can uh, be fair and be firm. Uh, I mean, all those things that, you know, sometimes you can exude a little bit more patience in the classroom and, you know, there's, there's a little bit less room for that, you know, when you're in the real world. So, um, but you know, I, you know, I adjusted and we, we did a great job and I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot of things and, 
you know, even at 55, you can learn and you can grow. And that was, uh, that was a cool thing. And you've also been invited to uh, cook at the Beard House, have you not? Um, I, you know, I had some great highlights, you know, it's the old, uh, was it 15 minutes of fame type of thing. So, you know, <laughs> I was, um, I was, you know, honored to be part of the, uh, New England Colony Olympic team in 1988, went to Germany, won some gold medals. We were the, actually the, the, uh, the most awarded team in history in the Colony Olympics. Um, that was a pleasure. Um, I got a chance to cook at the beard house when I went back in industry. I uh, was invited there. That was that was an absolute thrill. It's like going to Mecca. Yeah, though. You know, when you walk in the Beard House, it's a it's a really cool thing. Um, I've done some good things with the ACF, and you know, all all that kind of stuff is great. And and it never would have happened had I not started washing dishes when I was 15 years old. So, you know, you you look back at those those points in time in your life that you know really turned you around and made it made a difference. And as simple as it is, that was that was my moment. You know that first tray of dishes goes through the machine. It's uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, your second book was published uh, last year, and it's a book of fiction, and I believe the title is uh, "The Event That Changed Everything." And I know that's yeah. it's set in in a uh, in a fictional format. Would you say getting that job at fifteen was the event that changed everything for you? Um, it was an event that changed everything for me. I mean, it's not necessarily the crux of the book. Uh, no, no, but, no, I get that. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there are a few of those points along the way that, uh, really made a difference. I think going into education was one of those points. Um, you know, it allowed me to, I got my master's degree. Who would have thought, you know, I didn't even want to go to college when I was 16 or 17 years old. So, um, you know, I never would have done that had I not started an education. I probably wouldn't have been on the culinary team. Because right. I wouldn't have been able to afford the time if I was working day right, and night right, right. and all the time. So, you know, every, everything kind of happens, I guess, for a reason. Um, I, I don't believe in happenstance. I think that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the planets aligned and they were aligned the way they were supposed to. And I wound up where I am. And I'm, I'm real happy that, that all those things occurred. Now, have you spent the majority of your career in the Northeast? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had a chance to go elsewhere, but I, I'm a Northeastern guy. I like it up here. I like the seasons. I was born and raised in Buffalo, so I'm used to winters. And <laughs> now, now I'm in the Adirondacks, and I'm not sure which is worse, Buffalo or the Adirondacks. Right? Yeah. It's actually 18 degrees outside this morning, and it's yeah. snowing. So, But man, oh man, is it beautiful up there. Yeah. And yes, of course, yes, two days ago it was 63. So <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster. There was an article that I read of yours that uh, I actually uh, quoted you in a subsequent piece that I wrote, but uh, or on the radio show, where you posit that um, that the industry itself is to blame for its abdication in the education of our youth, and that's mm-hmm. at some point. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but it was it hit home for me in a way that I'd never heard it before. Was that um, that when you came up in the industry uh, as an apprentice, you learned everything from the ground up, and you three, four, five, how many ever years later it takes when you're on the line, you are not only a consummate professional, but you also have a, a wealth of information and experience at that point because you've learned it uh, at the elbow of someone else. But at some point, the industry and I put you know air quotations around it as some deep dark behemoth that. 
made a unilateral decision that we weren't going to waste time with apprentices anymore. We were just going to abdicate that responsibility to the schools uh, because we need we could no longer you know warehouse chefs in in training, but rather. Uh, you know, wanted it to be more cost effective just to be able to hire somebody out of school and that that's come around to bite us in the ass. Uh, for sure. This is a, this is a flag I've been waving for a while now, you know, having been in education for 30 years, one would think that I believe that's the only way to go. Um, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, first of all, I'm a strong believer in apprenticeship. I, I'm glad to see it starting to regain its energy and come Mm -hmm. back. I think that's a real, real important thing. Uh, number one, because college is not for everybody. Right. I don't, I don't believe that everyone, just because you're an American, has to have a college education to be successful. Um, I think that uh, the cost of culinary education today, no matter where you go, I think is, is abhorrent. And um, it's very difficult for young people to be successful when they get out because they can't pay back their student loans, you know, particularly not on 12 or 13 bucks an hour. Right. So I, I think apprenticeship is, is uh, definitely a way to go. And I think what happened, uh, and I, I can't pick the exact year, but it was somewhere probably in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, you know, before then, uh, most major hotel companies and restaurant companies had their own internal training programs. Mm-hmm. And, and they would build people up from, from the ground up, you know, from, from the dishwasher to executive chef at some point in time. And uh, I think at some point in time they said, "Hey, you know what? Let's let's give that responsibility to these schools, and we can concentrate on making money." And uh, lo and behold, uh, now you have a situation where uh, they're, they're they've distanced them, themselves from these young people coming up through the ranks. Uh, they don't understand their needs. Um, they uh, are not happy necessarily with the training that happens in a lot of culinary schools. I can't tell you how many chefs have said to me. You know, even with all these kids out there, I can't find anyone that can do the work. So, well, you know, you have to take some responsibility for that training. And I think uh, until our industry says, you know, let's let's collaborate with the schools and let's take some of that responsibility back and let's help to train this next generation. I think we're going to suffer from this dilemma that we have now, just not enough people to fill the jobs. And as onerous as some tuitions are in some for-profit uh education systems out there they've even had to scale back i mean to my knowledge nobody gets taught how to break down an entire side of beef i mean i've heard some crazy stories about how they even teach ice carving by using a a projector against a piece of ice in order to basically cut around the shapes i don't know if it's truth or that's urban legend but i do know from my own experience that it's a fool's errand to expect someone to be able to come out and, and be able to butcher down a subprimal just because they went to a culinary school. Right. No, they can't. It's, you'll be lucky if they can bust out a chicken. Right. <laughs> so it's, uh, and, and that's, that's not, I'm not faulting the schools. No, 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 they're, no. They're, they're encumbered by um, the, the system that we have in education that requires, you know, um, a variety of courses to complete a degree that limits the number of credit hours that they can offer for a two-year or a four-year degree. Um, it makes it very, very difficult for the school to do things in, in the right way. And the right way is really repetition. You get better at something, the more you do it. And uh, even that busting out that chicken, you know, if, you know, if you have a class on, you know, breaking down a chicken today, and uh, that's the first time and the last time you ever do it. You're never going to be good at breaking out a chicken, right? So you got to do it time and time and time again. Exactly. So whether it's 
busting down a side of beef or making a stock. Um, there's no room in most culinary curriculums for repetition. That's why that apprenticeship model is so good because they're doing it day in and day out and they're doing it for a guest on the other end. And there's that sense of urgency that they have to learn right from the get go. Uh, that can't be offered in a school. And I'm in listening to you. The other thing, and I'm kind of connecting it to, uh, some of my work in which I, uh, advocate, um, uh, less leadership and more mentorship. But I, I, but I realize in, in hearing you speak that if in fact we as a, as a culture have abdicated the responsibility of training our, our younglings to the school, then I think somewhere along the way we've also abdicated our responsibility to be compassionate mentors or to, or to show them what or to mentor mature professionalism to them, thinking that they've already gotten that somewhere. And then when someone comes in yep. and spins off in the middle of the line because they're under a little bit of stress or they spent all night drinking, um, we expect them to act differently. Yet, again, we've abdicated that responsibility saying, well, not on my shift, man. I, I got too many other things to worry about. And I think that's a tragedy Absolutely. because everybody's looking for, you know, nobody's really looking for leaders anymore. They want... A, uh, they want people who are going to mentor and who are actually going to be transparent and open and vulnerable within reason and context to a particular situation, but they don't want to be told what to do. They want someone to actually, to some extent, I know it's bullshit by somebody's standards, but you know, give them a, the reason why it needs to be done. And then most of the time they're, they're more than willing to do that. Would you say that's correct? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I look at a, you know, to be a chef is just like being a parent. You know, you, you have a, you have, you have a responsibility beyond, you know, getting the food out and satisfying customers and making a profit. And that, that primary responsibility really, because none of those things will happen unless you've got a great team of players that work together. And, you know, your job as a parent is to help nurture that person at some level, to challenge them, to push them, to tell them no, or to tell them yes, at some point in time so that they can get better at what they do. And when a chef says, you know, you know, my responsibility, you know, ends when I tell that person to do a particular task and they do it or they don't do it. It's just like a parent that advocates their responsibility to uh, nurture somebody and allow them to grow and blames the school. You know, it's not the school's fault that a kid doesn't turn out well. It's it's oftentimes the parent's fault and, and how they're brought up. And it's the same way in the kitchen. So if, if you know, probably the best chefs are the ones that are good parents. Right. If you're a good parent, you're going to be a better mentor in the kitchen too. Right. And I know that uh, there may be, uh, you know, some kitchen dogs or, or pirates or brigands out there who would probably chafe at the notion. Uh, yeah. But the sure. But the immaturity, and I say this with all due respect because for a large portion of my career, I was the poster child of bad behavior and incredibly immature, even in the role of chef. I really didn't understand what it was like to, to coach and mentor anyone until – I got my ass kicked, bounced out of the industry, and then kind of came back to it from the side in order before I realized again what my why was and how I did it was to, to basically have lots of conversations elbow to elbow with people, whether that's, you know, prepping or in the back room or in the cooler or whatever. Do you think that there's also an aspect of this career that's probably undervalued? Um, chef is storyteller? Of course. You know, it's, um, you know, there's, 
there's this thing I've written about this a few times, this whole phrase, you know, yes, chef. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I believe in yes, chef. Um, and the reason I, I believe in it is that I, I fully believe that everybody likes to be guided. And even though those, you know, those crusty pirates are in the kitchen, uh, might, you know, ruffle their feathers a little bit and say, you know, I, I don't, I don't need to be pushed or told what to do or guided. I'm my own person. Uh, they all respond well to that. Yes. Chef thing. Just like they, they like the, um, uh, the organization and the structure of a kitchen because people do like to be guided. You know, that's a, that's an important aspect to growing up and maturing. And, um, so I, I, I think I lost track of your original question, but the, <laughs> I think that whole thing about, uh, you know, had being in an environment where, uh, the chef is that person that provides you with that structure to learn and to grow and to be successful is very important. Yeah, I, I, my, and that's incredibly valid. And thank you for the follow up. But I was just kind of curious about because I was just reflecting on my experience as a parent, um, and in the best moments of my career as a professional, when when by telling a story or a relevant story to All what right, was going right. on. Um, it could usually drive the point home a lot better than me just basically, again, yeah. kind of telling them what to do, but in order to use an analogy in which kind of, kind of, so that they get to bring their own aha to it as well. But not only yeah. from a, from a, from a, uh, an associate standpoint, but I think also like we're, we're so used to perhaps telling the story of a great, uh, a great ingredient on a menu, but we may not necessarily be so good at, using our own lives as a story to tell others, especially around that, that mentoring maturity thing. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's so important. The storytelling and the storytelling is, has to be based on experiences. And, and when you, when you're sincere in telling those stories and the experiences you've had, good, bad, or ugly, um, you know, they are those aha moments for a cook or chef because then they say, Oh, you know, it's just like me. He understands what I'm going through. He understands the, the yeah. situation I'm in right now. Absolutely. And we all have those stories. You know, the longer you've been in the business, you got those stories. Some of them are actually funny. <laughs> uh, some of them are pretty tragic. You know? and, Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, um, you know, that's, that's what maturity and experience offers that can't be offered elsewhere. Um, you know, there's, it's, I'm going to go a little bit off topic, but kind Please. of related. You know, there's that, that, that young kid, I can't think of his name, but he's apparently very, very talented. He's like, you know, 15 years old or whatever. Uh, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's, yeah, he's done these seven course dinners, you know, a la Thomas Keller style and everything. Uh -huh. And I guess he's got a great palate. And, you know, the, the, the media keeps promoting him as, you know, this, this chef and he's going to have his own restaurant. And he's going to have a crew. And I'm thinking to myself, this poor kid. Right. <laughs> Cause he doesn't, he doesn't have those stories. You know, he doesn't have that. He can't mentor, you know, a line cook that's 22 years old. Um, it's going to tear him up, you know. You, you, and it's because you don't have that wealth of experience to be able to say, yeah, you know, I've been here, and this is why that's not going to work, or this way it, it has to be this way. Um, so I think it is it is really important to be a storyteller, to have substance behind it so that those stories make sense. Right. Now, yeah, not be bullshit and, and try to tell something that happened to somebody, but actually speak right. from a – from a vulnerable place where it actually happened to you. Because I also think yeah. like, like that recognition is really important. Like not only do they, not only does the chef see me and understand me, but chef always also represents somebody who went through the same things that I did. 
and still mm-hmm. and, and and it became a chef. So there's so I can see myself in you and be able to like okay, I, I it's not so bad right now. I can still get through this. I can still yeah. So um, chef, do you find um, this may be a little off topic, but since you're uh, now cranking out work, um, uh, written work so often, do you find that culinarians in of themselves are not necessarily ones like they'll they'll consume your content but they might not necessarily comment on it <laughs> do you find that to be oh, yeah <laughs> yeah you know it, you know it depends it depends on the topic you know it's it's funny you know i i can go back i haven't done the analytics but i can go back and look at uh the title of an article <laughs> and if the title of the article strikes a chord then you know then i get this enormous readership on that one and uh, it may not be, from my perspective, the best article I've written, right? But it strikes a chord, and then I'll get comments from people, and sometimes they'll be a little crass, you know. But, but you know, who's my audience? My audience are the, you know, the pirates in the kitchen, right? Exactly. And then I'll, and then I'll, then I'll write another article that I think is is great and really on point and says something that's important, and I'll get three hundred people that read it over a period of a week, you know. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. So yeah, you- they, they they have a tendency to. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, uh, you know, really good article, very, you know, very important to me. However, it's too long. And it was like, you know, 300 words or 400 words. So they, they don't like to read. They don't like to comment. Well, we're all busy, like right? Topic. Right. <laughs> they want to, they want to be able to skim through it and collect evidence yeah. about why their experience is relevant and right. And uh-huh. like, I uh, just got done speaking in uh, New York City uh, at the ACF conference, and I was presenting a uh, a little thing about uh, four steps to a fulfilling culinary career. And mm-hmm. the the folks that came were were very grateful and very gracious about the presentation. And yet, I kind of walked away thinking, "Gosh, I, I wish there there had just been might have been a couple more." Now I know that's mm-hmm. ego because it really doesn't matter about the quantity or the qual or the quantity of people in there. But really, if one of them walked out with whose perspective was shifted a little bit so that they don't end up making the same mistakes that I did, then I consider that a job well done. Yet it seems like sometimes um, – because I, I started a consulting company in 2005 for the industry and I realized pretty early on that those in most need of consulting were the ones that were least interested in <laughs> <laughs> you know, so one, that's interesting you bring that up. Let me tell you, because when people ask me, what, you know, what's the toughest part about being a consultant? I say, well, there's two types of clients out there. There's one that calls you up and says, you know, things are going pretty well. You know, restaurant's successful. People love our food. We've got a great team in the kitchen, but we want to figure out how to get to the next level. Right. And then there's the other one that calls you up and says, you know, uh, I'm drowning. I'm going down for the third time. You know, we're about ready to close. Can you come in and fix this? And of the two, the one that will actually listen to you is the one that's doing fine. <laughs> and the one that's really struggling and about ready to go under is the one that just doesn't pay any attention to what you have to say. Right. Kind of they're, ironic. They're, they're committed to their own story, whatever the hell that is. Um, right. Yeah. It's such a shame. So, um, Chef, you've been married 40 years. Uh, 41. Congratulations. Um, I think Thank that you. makes you amongst one of the – one of the rarest of our breed, someone who's enjoyed uh, a successful relationship for that long. Um, what's been the key? Um, I think you, uh, n- number one, you have to appreciate each other. You have to give each other space. You have to, um, 
you know, understand that you both have, um, you know, your, your family objectives, but you also have your personal objectives and to be understanding and supportive. And then also, you know, be honest. And my wife is my, my number one critic. She, yeah. She'll tell me real quickly when she thinks that I'm not doing something the way where it should be done. Um, and it's, and it's always been that way, you know, and, um, but on the other hand, um, you know, she rarely says no, if I want to do something differently, you know, when I, when I went back into education and went to that school in Vermont, um, I, I had to live in Vermont five days a week and I came home on the weekends. Right. Um, and to anyone else that, that might've been a real tough, uh, move for a marriage, you know, but, yep. uh, my wife said, yeah, you ought to, you ought to do it. We'll make it work, you know? And, um, so it's, it's that the other, the other thing I always tell people is make sure that each of you has your own money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta have, you got your joint account, but then you also have that little account on the side there that you could do some frivolous things, you know, without asking the other person for permission. I think that's always a good and thing. Is, 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 did you guys agreed on a, on a, on a limit to where you didn't have to consult the other? Uh, we never, we never had that, but you know, you know, it was pretty much unsaid, but, very clear, you know. If you know, if you're going to spend a couple hundred dollars, that's something we got to talk about, right? Know? Exactly. But uh, you know, you know, you you want to you want to go out and have you know a few beers with your friend, or you want to buy uh, a book online, whatever. Yeah, you do what you want to do. Uh, the other thing is have kids. You know, kids are the greatest thing in the world. So I got three kids, three grandkids, and another one on the way. So you know, that's. That's what life's all about. And and your kids, uh, well, that's an interesting perspective, Chef, because I've spoken to quite a few um, younglings coming out of the gate, and I my advocacy or my advocacy for them has always been get a hobby, and mm-hmm. they freak out at that. They're like, nope, culinary industry is my life, cooking is my life, it's going to give me everything, and I'm like, yeah, but you can't cuddle up with that at the yeah. end of the night. No, so I mean, uh, and unfortunately, it's like they. You know, you tell your child, don't stick your finger in the light socket, don't stick your finger in the light socket, boom, there you go. Okay, now what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know. To have have a balance of perspective, to have something else other than your work is incredibly important for longevity, wouldn't you say? Oh, it's essential. It's essential because, you know, at some point in time, you got to go home. (laughs) Uh, and to go home it's to not have somebody to talk to you know hopefully not too much about work but just to talk to (laughs) and confide in and uh, laugh with um, that's 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 a great thing you know and um, my greatest accomplishment in life is having three kids and three grandkids you know that's uh, everything else pales in comparison you might not know that when you're 25 and just starting out uh, but certainly the older you get, you keep things in perspective and you see that that's, that's, that's it. You know, when you, when you can, when you can help a, a young kid grow and mature and, you know, watch them become a good person. I mean, that's, that's what life's all about. Chef, incredibly well said. So I'm going to ask you in closing for two pieces of, two pieces of advice. So one is, um, what would you say someone who's not necessarily coming into the industry, but maybe has been in the industry two to two to four or five years, and maybe they've had their good days and their bad days, and but now they might look at themselves in the mirror trying to think, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, best word of advice is, you know, you own your career. You know, if, if you're stuck, 
then it's up to you to, to figure out how to get unstuck. And you know, one of the ways that I always found uh, to do that best is to find your benchmarks, um, identify a mentor, and find somebody that's going to help you along the way. You know, it's everything I've done that's yielded some level of success in my life is because, you know, I I decided I wanted to do that and I found the right person to help me do it. You know, if if, if you're just sitting back and saying, oh, woe is me, the world is not treating me fair, I'm not getting anywhere, well, it's it's your responsibility to make that change, you know, and if it's if it's the environment you're in, the restaurant you work for, then then find another restaurant. Find a place where uh, there's a chef that likes to mentor that invests in people. Find a chef that's doing something different, you know, and go and work there. And Or if you find a point in time that this, this industry just doesn't do it for you, then do something different. You know, but you own your career, you own your success. Don't blame anyone else. Chef, expand a little bit on what do you mean by benchmarks? Uh, benchmarks would be, you know, I, I find that uh, there's there's companies, businesses, it doesn't have to be restaurants or people that I really admire. And there's something about them that I would like to emulate. Uh, you know, I, I like Apple computers. Uh, why do I like Apple? Because I always like their cutting edge creativity of saying, you know, here's something we're going to develop and nobody realizes that they're going to want it. But when we develop it, they're going to want it. You know, I, I like that. And I learn from that. And I try and figure out a way to incorporate that in what I do. Uh, that's a real important thing. I look at um, chefs. I mean, I've got a half a dozen chefs that I consider to be um, my inspiration. And it's not always because they make great food. It's because of the way they treat other people, the way they treat their families, the way they look at the world. Um, and I hold them in very high regard. And, and very often I will uh, take those benchmark people, those benchmark companies, I'll reflect back on them and say, okay, now, what would you do in this particular situation or how would they approach this? Um, I think that's really important to have those. Even as simple as, I mean, how many young people have worked for you that uh, can't really get the flavor profile of a dish right? And if you look back on it, it's really because they've never had that product themselves. They've never tasted it. <laughs> they don't know what it is. If they don't know what a good burger is, they can't make a good burger. Right, exactly. Now, if you don't have those benchmarks in life, then you, you can't apply it to your situation today. So while we were in uh, while we were in New York City, someone uh, someone I know went to Per Se, and they had a dish that they had tried to emulate in their own kitchen without ever mm-hmm. w- without ever having tried the version at Per Se's. And uh, he got back, and I asked him how it was, and he said, "Yeah, I finally found out how it was supposed to taste." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, oysters awesome. and pearls, you know, the, the Thomas Keller classic. Exactly. Dinner, you know? Exactly. You, know, you can read the book, but it, it ain't going to cut it for you. It ain't going to cut it. Now, would that be really, really similar advice to someone who's been in their career maybe 10, 15 years? Um, maybe not. they're not necessarily burnt out, but uh, maybe they're starting to lose the, their edge a little bit and, um, you know, trying to think maybe I should stick with this or should I continue on? Yeah, well, I, I think to some degree it is, but you know, again, just because you start off in in the restaurant business doesn't necessarily mean you have to end up in the restaurant business. I mean, one of the things that I found is that a lot of the skills that you learn in a kitchen are transferable. It doesn't make any difference, uh, you know, whether you uh, work in the computer industry, the hotel industry, or farming. If if you have if you've learned the trade of being dependable, 
when you're in the kitchen, you're going to apply that to no matter where you go. Uh, if, if you um, are keen on, on organization and structure and you believe in mise-en-place, which is something that we teach immediately when you go into a kitchen, mm-hmm. that's applicable no matter where you go. So, you know, don't, if you reach that, that time in your, in your career and you say, I'm not sure I want to, I'm not happy. I'm not sure I want to continue to do this. Don't think that you're stuck. You know, you can get out and you can do something different, or you can just say, let's, let's restart this and let's leave where I am now. And let, let me go and work with a chef somewhere else and learn something different. You know, go to that benchmark and say, Hey, you know what? I've been doing this for 15 years, but I want to start over again. Can you teach me? You know, so there's, yeah, it's similar, but you know, there's don't, don't feel stuck. And I think that's, that's a thing that a lot of people can't get by. And they, and they just suffer in silence. They just keep grinding it out because, yeah. you know, they think yep. they got to bring home the bacon or whatever. I, in my own experience, one of my most satisfying positions, believe it or not, after almost 25 years of being chef, executive chef, corporate chef, I took an executive sous chef position supporting uh, one of my best friends uh, when he <laughs> took over a property um, in Western Virginia. And that was like one of the greatest times I'd ever had, you know, to be able to come back in and not carry the weight of uh, or the mantle of, of, of ultimate responsibility as the executive chef, but be able to assist in you know, kind of focus on what I did best was was really refreshing. So sometimes, uh, not only moving to a different uh, location, but also a slightly different position can sometimes be incredibly invigorating. Yeah, it yeah. can re-energize you. Exactly, and I, you know, I think if the five-year cycle philosophy works for restaurants, and that you know you need to update the menu and update the interior every five years, then why wouldn't that be the same way for us in our careers? Absolutely. Chef, uh, I think you yet, s- go ahead, please. I was going to say, and you never know, you know, you never, you never know where you're going to wind up. Exactly. And, um, why did you write a book of fiction? Uh, you know, I, when I started, uh, when I started putting my thoughts down, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, just kind of journalizing things. And, and I found that I, I kind of enjoyed doing that. I kind of enjoyed, the whole writing thing. Um, the, the first book I put out was eh, not that great, but it was kind of a self-reflective autobiography thing. Sure. I wanted to write, write my experiences down and I put that out and, and, um, you know, you know, I don't know, I sold 400 copies, something like that. And, um, you know, I thought oh, about five years later, I thought, geez, you know, I've got some other ideas, some other things that are floating around in my head. Let me just start to outline them. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I write because I enjoy it. I don't, I don't write to make money. I'm certainly not making any money at it. Uh, but I do it because it's it's just kind of a new thing for me, and it's just a, it's gratifying. I enjoy it. And why? And that's probably as good a reason to do anything, right? Is you enjoy it? Yep, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Chef, and if uh, folks want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Um, well. Uh, First of all, the, the blog is um, Harvest America Cues, that's C-U-E-S, um, dot com, or, or my website, which is Harvest America Ventures, uh, dot com. Uh, that's my consulting site. Uh, you can also access the blog through that. So it's, it's all there. Um, I love working with restaurants. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, again, I'm not doing it to make any money anymore. I've, I've 
I've done my work thing. This is this is more gratifying, just kind of working with people and helping them through their problems. And are you are you still uh, submitting articles to or blogs posts to uh, the ACF blog as well? I do the ACF blog uh, once a month. I do. Uh, I write for San Pellegrino, which is uh, FineDiningLovers.com, um, and I write for um, Cafe, which is the Center for Advancement of Food Service Education. Fantastic. So um, it keeps me busy. <laughs> I'll bet it does. Chef, Par- uh, Chef Paul Sorgo, man, thank you very much for taking the time, and uh, can't wait to connect soon. Adam, maybe we can meet up face-to-face sometime. I sure look forward to that, Chef. Be well. Keep Take care. warm. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.